Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Doug Berry sitting in for two segments for Jess. Doug Berry, welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show, brother. Thank you. Thank you, brother. It's great to be with you. Oh. As always, I look forward to the chance. And you know, Doug, I think about the years that we have spent in the vineyard of the Lord trying to get people to know the meaning and purpose of life. And I look at myself and I look at you and I say, you know what? We're getting old. <laughs> and I'm laughing because, hey, it went by so fast. But you know, Doug, when you think about Life is short and that eternity is forever. Yeah. You know, it really puts things in perspective, brother. Yeah, it does. It does. And, you know, you, you start realizing, and of course, you start longing for, in fact. Yeah. Okay, I just lost his audio, so we're going to get that right back again. Uh, Doug Barry sitting in with Jesse for two segments. We're going to be talking to Doug, the second segment, regarding what he's up to in regarding to survival kits, spiritual and material, too. Uh, we're going to try and get Doug's audio back on. We lost it. But today's topic, I really want to educate our folks on the deposit of faith. This is something that's so important. Do you remember when the Catechism of the Catholic Church came out back in 1994? St. John Paul II wrote a document uh, introducing the Catechism, and he called it the deposit of faith. So when you hear people say things like, oh, well, I don't, we don't follow a deposit of faith. No, that's not what the Catholic Church teaches. So we're going to talk about the deposit of faith, what it is, and why Catholics should know about it. And then I'm going to follow up with why the church deposit of faith cannot be changed or evolved. Because we're hearing lots of people talk like, oh yeah, we'll just have a, a majority vote and we'll decide on, you know, whether it's homosexual marriage. Uh, you know, we can change anything by vote. No, that's not how the Catholic faith operates. So we're going to get Doug Berry back on in a minute. And also... Before I get into the soul food, I want to give some great news, everybody. I, I should have a drum roll. 40 Days for Life, which I'm participating in, inspired over 250 abortion workers to quit their jobs. Can you imagine that? 250 people who are directly involved with killing unborn babies. They see us praying the rosary. They see us saying, look, we're going to give alternatives to abortion. And those employees say, you know, I must be doing something wrong. They, they, those people still have a conscience. So I want to commend uh, 40 Days for Life that they're doing great work in protecting the unborn. Also, I want to continue to ask us to vote with our Catholic dollars. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, you know, Target is removing some LGBT merchandise linked to transgender Satanist designer after a black backlash because people are saying we're not going to shop there. Well, I stopped shopping there years ago when they started having uh, a universal bathroom for men and women. That, that, that's not going to happen. And so this is important for us Catholics to keep the pressure on, whether it's Dodger Stadium, here I live in L.A., or Anaheim Stadium, to say, look, we love the game of baseball, but you're politicizing it. You are making it into uh, something that's offensive to my family. And guess what? We're not gonna, you're not going to get our dollars to go to baseball games. I know this sounds like it's very strict, and but you know what, folks? It's time for us to stand up for Christ in the workplace. Now, Doug, we're going to uh, get some soul food. I hope I got your audio back, brother. You there? No, I still can't hear him. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read the Gospel of today. It's John chapter 17, 20 to 26, and then I'm going to give some commentary. Lifting up his eyes to heaven, Jesus prayed, saying, I pray not only for these but also for those who will believe in me through their word so that they may all be one. See, our Lord wants everybody to be under the Catholic faith. 
as you the Father are in me and in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them even as you loved me. Father, they are your gift to me. I wish that I were, I am that they, I am they also may be one with me and that they may see the glory that you gave me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Righteous Father, the world has also denied not you, but I know you, and they know that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm taking this commentary from two things. you got the Navarra Bible, and also I call it the New Ignatius Catholic Buddy, uh, Study Bible on the New Testament. So Scott Hahn gives commentary. He says, the mission of Christ becomes the mission of the church. Exactly. Because he left his authority with his church. Once he returned to the Father, although cooperation in this work is incumbent upon all baptized believers, Catechism paragraphs 12, 68, and 70 point that out, that the apostles are sent forth in a special way for the ministry of preaching the word, sanctifying the world. The missionary mandate continues to be fulfilled by the bishops who are ordained successors to the apostles. As Bishop Sheen says, the bishops are to teach, govern, and sanctify. And that's what our bishops are to do and confirm us in our faith. And this is why I say it's so important that we get Bishop Sheen beatified and I'm going to be doing a show next week on that whole topic, where it's at and how we can participate. Can you imagine if Bishop Sheen's beatified, how many more people will be exposed to his teachings? And this, the teachings of Bishop Sheen are nothing more than the church. But again, in a crisis that we're in right now, we need to go back to the fundamentals. So that's where we got that. Let's uh, Talking about Bishop Sheen, let's bring the smartest guy into the room, Archbishop Fulton. Full Sheen ahead. Here's what he has to say about celibacy, priestly celibacy. The reason I'm bringing this up is some people high in the church are thinking, well, maybe we'll get more priests if we just let them marry. Well, let me let Bishop Sheen speak for himself. He says, the priest is pledged to celibacy not because human generation is wrong, here it comes, but because it must yield so that he can devote himself wholly to a higher form of generation, the beginning of the children in Christ, by bringing to him those who have never known him, by restoring to him those lost in sin, and by arousing in those who already love Christ the inspiration to serve him more fully as religious or priests. The energy with which otherwise would be used for the service of the flesh is not buried in a napkin. It is transformed so that it may serve a chaste generation in the spirit. Now, I can experience that because I belong to an Anglican ordinary parish. And when 
the Anglican priests came into the Catholic Church who were already married. They were, they were ordained as married men. But in the future, they're not going to ordain married men. It's going to be celibate men. And there's a really good reason on the practical level. A celibate priest can dedicate totally to the mission of the church. I know as a married man, I could be doing more evangelization in the sense if I wasn't married, but that's not what God called me to do. My first call is my wife and my family. But when you're a celibate priest, your family is your parish. It's souls. And so those who think that we should have a married clergy, come to our parish. You'll find out so many times our pastor has family duties that he says, hey, we're not going to have mass on Saturday. Guess what? I'm on vac- I'm taking the kids out for a vacation trip. See, when you're celibate, you don't have those issues. So I just think that we should really seriously consider thinking that celibacy is a great gift to the church. And St. John Paul II also pointed that out. Doug Berry, I see you. Can I hear you, brother? Nope, not yet. There's some issues here. But you know what? I, that's what if we call spiritual warfare. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try and get our engineer to put Doug back on where we can actually hear him. And I'll just move on to my other topics. And when we get him back, we'll move into that. So Bishop Sheen, please pray for us. I wanted to also bring something up. At one of my favorite bishops is Cardinal Robert Seurat. And he said recently the West has denied its roots, its Christian roots. And he says a tree without roots dies. And that's pretty much what I see out here in the West right now is secular humanism. We act like God doesn't exist. And it's infecting how our church operates. And so I think the good Cardinal, Cardinal Siraz, well said when he says, the West has denied its Christian roots. Let's not deny our Christian roots out of some thought of, well, we don't want to offend somebody with the truth. No, 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 no. That's, that's really a, a problem. I love what St. Pope Pius X had to say. He says about bishops and priests and all of us, he said, we all have a sacred duty to defend the truth openly, for God will ask of us a render account for all those souls who have strayed into the way of perdition. Now that means me, you, Doug Berry, all of us have a, a mandate, as the Gospel of John was talking about, evangelizing. We, you know, whoever we come in contact with, many times we evangelize just by example. Like my wife and I took the two grandchildren, six-month-old baby and a three-year-old boy, to the grocery store. And the people were just saying, well, that's such a beautiful baby. So I got to talk about the sacredness of life to many people. They were examples just by being with us as grandparents. I think people see beauty with children. We got to do more of that. When we come back, if Doug is able to, we'll talk about his new project. If not, I'll get right into the deposit of faith, what it is, and why Catholics should know about it. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. I promise we're doing our best to get Doug Berry back on the air with us. I'm going to go ahead and start my other topic. And before I do that, just wanted to make an announcement again. We have another project we're working with, Father Chad Ripperger and his group. 
uh, regarding a video that we're going to produce on what to do with, uh, you know, all kinds of issues when it comes to spiritual warfare. And um, we're going to be flying the guys out to do these uh, interviews. We're going to um, produce this video, make it available on YouTube, but we do need some funding for it. So if you like what we're doing regarding spiritual warfare, just put a little check in the mail, say this is for the Father Chad Project regarding spiritual war- warfare, or you can call me after the show and I'll take your donation for that too at 661-972-7872. All right, before Doug gets back on, I want to talk a little bit about the deposit of faith, what it is and why Catholics should know about it. And this is really critical that we know this because when we're under attack, we need to know the who back. All right, so here's here we go. All right, that's on my, I can hear that, but I don't know why I hear that. The Catholic Church preserves and articulates the deposit of faith through what? Sacred tradition and also sacred scripture. We need to know that. The magisterium, we hear that term. It's the church teaching authority. It's responsible for interpreting and clarifying the inerrant deposit of faith of which the faithful are called to adhere to and defend. So the deposit of faith, we need to have really clear in our minds of what that is. Now, as you know, as I was just saying, whenever the faith comes under attack, whether from outside or from within the church, it's always good for the Christian, for us Catholics, to return to the basics. That's why we teach that catechism class every Tuesday night, which is a convert course using the Baltimore Catechism number four. That's why Bishop Strickland on Tuesdays does a, a, a segment on the catechism, because this is what's important right now. Such was the case also during the Arian heresy, when one of the most fundamental claims of Christ in the gospel, that he was indeed the Son of God and equal to the Father, the truth for which he was condemned and crucified <laughs> and was outright denied are explained away by the heretics. So there you go. Now, uh, I'm going to get back to the deposit of faith, but I want to get my friend Doug Berry. We'll do whatever we can to get him back on. Doug, are you with me on the telephone? I, I think so. I hope I am. <laughs> I am too. Doug, this just tells me that what you have for us needs to be heard. So thank you for adjusting to at least making the phone call for us. So, Doug, tell us a little bit, for those who don't know who you are, I'm hopefully just one or two people out there, but I'm what you're doing and how people can support what you're doing. Can you share a little bit about yourself with us, please? Yeah, and I appreciate it, Terry. I know you and I have been friends for a long time, oh, yeah. like a long time, and uh, I've been doing this work for about 33 years now, I think is what it is. And, you know, I just, you know, I run the ministry Radix mm-hmm. uh, still. I used to do the one-man drama of the passion. Yep. Um, you know, all over the country for years, did it many times with you. At your yeah, that's right. There. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, this is just uh, this, what we're doing now, uh, Be Ready Coalition, which is kind of a branch off of mm-hmm. what we've always been trying to do. Be Ready Coalition is really uh, almost three years old, going on three years old. And it's an effort to try to help people be better prepared spiritually and physically. Yes. And it's interesting, Terry, because in the Catholic faith, a lot of people don't talk a lot about the physical part of preparedness. We know we need to be spiritually ready all the time, but we also should be thinking about naturally, especially since the corporal works of mercy have everything to do with our salvation, as Matthew chapter 25 talks Mm -hmm. about, when the separation of the sheep and the goats 
for feeding and giving a drink and sheltering clothing and so forth, uh, Christ through others, uh, determines a lot of where someone ends up in the end. We're supposed to care for each other spiritually and physically. So with BR Coalition, we have put together an online training course on this, but we also have a one-time course someone can buy that helps them get ready in the areas of food, water, shelter, medical, and defensive measures, especially, Terry, and I know you know this, especially being out in California where you are. I'm in Texas, actually. Um, but there's a lot going on in our world right now. We've seen a lot of uh, disruption, chaos, yep. when you think about the uh, George Floyd BLM riots from sure. a couple of years ago, Antifa, um, all the threats that go on. And as you mentioned earlier in the show, the L.A. Dodgers thing with the with the, yep. with the um, that whole trans group, that whole thing shows you the pressure that comes from uh, a, a destructive, call it liberal side, that really is anti-church, anti-God. We need to be ready to not, we not to take this in an anxious way, but ready to deal with how do we continue to support and care for, feed, clothe each other, help each other, build community. And so we have this course called the BR Emergency Preparedness Course, BREP for mm -hmm. short, and I encourage people to go out to brcoalition.com. Uh, we've got a special on it right now. We're really trying to help people get ready. Uh, we've had Father Richard Heilman support it, yeah. Father Ripperger, Father uh, Altier. We've had uh, many priests say that this is an important thing. Father Jim Blunt just recently on our Grace Force, U.S. Grace Force podcast yeah. said that he's in a community in Georgia that for several years now they've been burying metals, building a refuge, but including in that food, water, chickens, mm -hmm. solar panels. Mm -hmm. So it's not it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very good thing to take some steps to be ready. And you and I were just talking about this yesterday, I think, yep. about uh, just having extra fruit and fruit and food and, and eggs and being ready to help others yes, exactly. in case things get bad. Exactly. So tell us again how they can contact you through that website, because I want people to uh, get it and say it twice for them to write it down, please. You betcha. BRCoalition.com. Yep. BRCoalition.com. Awesome. And the course is the Be Ready Emergency Preparedness Course. Yeah. And we call it BREP, B-R-E-P, the acronym for short. Mm -hmm. And you know, we just want to encourage people to think about this. Prepping or being prepared is not a new thing. No. In fact, if you go back 75, 100 years, or, or even not so far, you'll find that it was common sense to be ready, common oh, yeah. sense to have extra food and water, common sense to not always rely on other people all the time for everything, common sense to make sure that you were able to have the basic skills to help deal with a medical emergency, common sense to be ready to protect and defend, you know, in case of a crisis. So this is something that's new relatively in the last few generations where we have really dropped the ball and just turned over these things of caring to other people. Just pick up the phone, make a call. Someone will take care of it for me. That is not how it always used to be. And it's not a good way to live. In fact, our freedoms and conveniences have really made us very vulnerable be, for many people, because we've allowed it to to kind of dominate us and make us lazy. And Doug, you also have good common sense stuff for mom and dad, especially I, I like what I saw about uh, the father taking his role as as a provider and protector. And one of the elements, and if things ever went south, and it's not, I don't think if, it's when, because I live in California. Right. I've already experienced chaos in my own city. 
uh, where, you know, you just had to protect your own household and lock everything up and kind of hunker down. So it, it's it's happened. And I think I, I wanted to ask you to share with some of the things you also do for protection for the family, uh, kind of giving dad some training, whether it's in firearms or self-defense. That That's covered in your in your report, is it not? It is, yeah. And we get into the very basics of that because there's some things obviously you can't do unless you are at a, yeah, at a shooting range with sure. a professional yeah. training you and, of yeah. course, knowing the laws of your state. Yeah. But there are basic things that you can understand, Yes, basic ways to hand-to-hand type fighting. Right. And you don't have to be Bruce Lee or Chuck no. Norris <laughs> to understand how to protect yourself. Exactly. The Every single one of us should have some idea how to do something to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Exactly. Now, so we teach basic self-defense and Good. basic introduction to firearms in Good. the course Good. so people can understand. And we also address this, Terry, a lot of people don't realize that the Catechism of the Catholic Church right. teaches, there are three key paragraphs, mm-hmm. 22, 63, 64, and 65, that address that self-defense is not only a right, it at times is a grave duty, quote-unquote, yeah. especially if you're in charge of a community or a family, you have a grave duty to be able to protect and defend your loved ones, even as it states, and St. John Paul II emphasizes this in the Gospel of Life, even if it states taking up arms against an aggressor as a last resort, and if the unintended consequence That's is right. that the loss of life occurs, it's morally justified. So this is something the Church does teach, and I know Jesse has talked about oh, yeah. this at times. Time. The difference between killing and murdering. That's right. The fifth commandment is not about killing, it's about murder. That's right. Innocent and life. Killing in, exactly, an innocent life. So yeah, we do address that because it is a very important thing for Catholics to understand, for all people to understand that God is not opposed to us protecting and defending ourselves and others. And Doug, some of the, I just got a question on my app here, says that, uh, please ask Doug about single moms, because unfortunately, we have a lot of Catholic moms listening that dad just is not there. Uh, can you help with that? Yes. In fact, what we do uh, for people who get into the course, we have uh, two lives mm-hmm. every month. In fact, I just had one last night. Mm-hmm. And so I get on live with people and they it's and it's a private platform, so it's not censored. So it's not it's not through Zoom and or through YouTube or anything. And people can ask any question they want on this. They send us emails and I instruct and talk about these things. Excellent. Uh, we'll do personal coaching when we can to try to help people because we do have a lot of mothers, single mothers. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of women and some men, but mainly women whose husbands just are not on board, even though they're in the home. So we cover it all, and we help them secure the home, help them understand both the spiritual and natural aspects of protecting your home, yourself, and your loved ones. But yes, absolutely, we help uh, single mothers and and women who just in general don't have a man uh, on board helping them. We want to be able to reach out where we can. Give us the uh, email, no, the website twice, two more times, please. You betcha. BRCoalition.com. Got it. BRCoalition.com. And Doug, how can people hear you and Father Heilman? How can they do that also each week? Oh, thanks for asking, Terry. The U.S. Grace Force podcast, it's on YouTube. Uh, We have a channel, been doing it for almost four years every week. And we also are on, I think, um, Spotify, iHeart. Uh, all the basic platforms, there's about six of them. I think we're on the audio version. And Doug, and if, on pe- Rumble. if people wanted to bring you out to their parish to do evangelization talks on Our Lady, because I've heard you, I mean, you know, uh, especially on Our Lady of Fatima and, and Nikita, all mm-hmm. these other, how can they do that? 
Yeah, that's something that I do, uh, still do for over 33 years now, and I still give talks on the yeah. the, the church-approved prophecies, especially of Our Lady, uh, from Fatima on up to today, yes. uh, primarily. Um, and they can they can contact me through an email at brcoalition.com. Just hit the contact at the bottom of the screen, brcoalition.com, and uh, I'd love to come out. Doug, I've got another minute. I'd like to take advantage of your time. Is there anything else you'd want to share with our listeners? Because I, I actually endorse you 110%, as you know. So but what else can they help you with, Doug? Well, I appreciate that, Tara. I really do. I want to encourage everybody to think about this. There's a difference between the word urgent and anxious. Yes. We are not to be anxious. God doesn't want that. But he does want us to understand the urgency of the time. The oh. better prepared we are spiritually and physically, the less anxious we will be. That makes so sense. I appreciate your chance. Time chance to be with you, Terry. God Thanks, bless you, God. God love you, my brother. When we come back, we're going to talk about that deposit of faith. Stay with us here on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back. Holy mackerel. Doug Berry, what a good man he is. Lots of laymen lay and women evangelizing people. I was in the middle of chatting with you about the importance of the deposit of faith. And remember, back in the 4th century, we called it the Arian heresy, when St. Athanasius was exiled four times, 70% of his brother bishops were not in union with him. And I think there's a connection, as Bishop Athanasius Snyder said, to what we're dealing with today. We have uh, some bishops and cardinals that are just outside the realm of the faith. And so uh, they're openly, repeatedly claiming that inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a justification for acceptance of every sexual perversion. These, these, these bishops, really, yeah, they are. The denial of the precepts of the moral law, the rejection of divinely established ecclesiastical hierarchy, and the substitution of the apostolic rites of the worship of God with pagan ceremonies, venerating nature, yeah, that's all gone on on my watch. Now, truths long accepted as settled Catholic doctrine, like homosexuality, are now proposed as matter for debate and the denial or rejection of what our forefathers in faith believed or practiced. It's couched as it's a development of the very doctrines that are denied and trampled upon with contempt. In such a time of crisis, here comes the advice, everybody. Catholics must return to the basics of their faith, for the stronger the building's foundation, the more firmly it can sustain all these attacks. See, the reason many Catholics are falling is because they don't have a foundation on their own faith. I get phone calls all the time from Catholics and non-Catholics. What do you Catholics believe anymore? We hear all kinds of crazy things going on. Is What happened? And so that's why the deposit of faith, the infallible foundations upon which our salvation rests, and why does the deposit of faith cannot change? Well, I'm going to explain that. And what is it meant by the phrase deposit of faith? What kinds of things are included in the deposit of faith? And in the follow-up, we're going to call in a segment uh, why this deposit is, is immutable. Okay? So the deposit of faith, and this is a... Very critical thing to hear. Again, I might say it twice even. The deposit of faith is what God has supernaturally revealed to the world through the prophets, the apostles, and most of all, through his own son, Jesus Christ. 
which has been handed on to the Catholic Church. What For what purpose? <laughs> Bottom line, the salvation of souls in every place until the coming of Christ in the glory at the end of time. The deposit of faith is the result of supernatural divine revelation. See, I question some of those bishops who challenge the divine deposit of faith. What kind of faith do they have? Because do they have supernatural faith? It doesn't seem that way. How can you tell me, as a cardinal or bishop, that St. Paul is wrong when it comes to homosexuality? Or that the sacred deposit is wrong? No. This sacred deposit includes truths about both what it is to be believed and what actions are to be done in order to be saved, namely, the revealed truths concerning faith and morals. It is from this deposit that the magisterium of the church draws all that she definitively proposes to the Christian faithful to be believed in faith as revealed by God. You notice it's not revealed by Father such and such, or even a pope. No, it's revealed by God. I mean, the Holy Father is the vigor of Christ, not the superior of Christ. So he, even him, he can't change this deposit of faith if he wanted to. And popes have said that over the centuries. The truths about what we must believe are supernatural mysteries about God revealing directly by him or they are contained within and implied by these truths, or they are intrinsically and necessarily related to such truths. As such, they are to be assented to by the mind through a supernatural virtue of faith. This is one of the truths we say. We can't understand something. St. Augustine used to say that, well, maybe I got a bad translation. Maybe I just don't understand it well. So it's a humility approach to life. These truths can be articulated in determined statements and include both spec, uh, speculative truths that God is in three persons in one nature or that Jesus Christ is one divine person in two natures, human and divine. That's the church teaching. Or the substance of Christ's body is really and truly present in the Holy Eucharist. And unfortunately, we have people who are dressed like priests who don't believe in the real presence. They've lost it. We need to pray for them. Remember, Our Lady said it. Souls are going to hell because no one's there to pray and make sacrifices, as well as practical truths that is gravely evil to murder or to commit adultery or to commit sodomy or baptism takes away all sins, confers grace, makes one an adopted son or daughter of God, or that it is necessary for salvation that the soul have sanctifying grace. That's the life of God in us. See, we don't hear enough of that. No. Or one must keep the commandments to please God. We hear, when was the last time you heard that we need to keep the Ten Commandments? This has been the church teaching for 2,000 years. The truths about the actions to be done included are not only those pertaining to supernatural moral life of grace and virtue, such as keeping the commandments, but also those that pertain to the liturgical life of the church. God has revealed how man ought to live <coughs> and how he wishes to be worshipped. These two aspects of actions that God has revealed must come together in the sacraments of the church. Now, 
this is all basic stuff, but we all need to know it, in my opinion. Now, these sacraments are actions that are at once acts of worship and signs that God has established for infallible communications of grace to the souls, making men to be morally good. The sacraments derive their saving efficacy. Here it comes. From where? From the, from the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross and makes souls pleasing to God in a way that his own son is pleasing to him through the supernatural love of charity. And I say this because these truths are to be believed and actions to be done in part is a part of the deposit of faith. And it's been handed down to the church in two ways. Now this is important to know about the deposit of faith through sacred scripture and sacred tradition. Sacred tradition includes both the preaching of the fruits of the revelation and of doing of the actions God has revealed must be done for salvation. The proclamation of the gospel, living morally, and the liturgical performance of the sacraments all belong to the handing on the deposit of faith. This is so important for us to understand these fundamentals because Complementary to apostolic tradition is the handling of the same deposit of faith through the written word of God, sacred scripture. What's happened is we got people in our church usurping the power of scripture and saying scripture's wrong. They don't believe in the inerrancy of scripture. We do, as Catholics. This written word, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, is at once the word of man and the word of God. It is a stable and in during means by which God has revealed himself and his plan to salvation to the world. Because of the inspirations of human authors of Scripture by the Holy Spirit, such authors are really and truly spokesmen of God himself. And their word is true with the truth of God himself. That's why we can trust the Bible. See, what's happened, a lot of your modernists, they don't believe the Bible is inerrant. In other words, without error. I think it's like Gone with the Wind. You know, it's just a novel. Therefore, what is affirmed in Scripture is affirmed by the Holy Spirit and must be true, as God can neither deceive nor be deceived. Because all Scripture is the Word of God, and it's necessarily, and it's entirely part of the deposit of faith, and must be believed as an infallible and unerring salvific work, revealing who He is and what he wills for man. When people don't believe in the Catholic faith, there's a question that old Jesuit used to say, no, all Catholics believe in the real presence because they're not Catholic if they don't. You've separated yourself by not believing what the church teaches. As the Council of Trent taught, this supernatural revelation according to the faith of the universal church as declared by the Holy Senate of Trent is contained in the written books and is an unwritten tradition which has been received by the apostles from the mouth of Christ himself or through the inspirations of the Holy Spirit which has been handed down by the apostles themselves and have thus come to us. See, this is how revealed truth is coming to us. And as the first Vatican Council taught, by divine the Catholic faith, all those things must be believed which are contained in the word of God and in tradition and those which are proposed by the church either in a solemn pronouncement or in her ordinary and universal teaching to be believed and divinely revealed. 
That's right in Vatican I. <clears throat> so, what am I saying? The deposit of faith contains those divinely revealed truths handed on to the church through sacred scripture and the apostolic tradition which the church's magisterium proposes to the faithful in a definitive way to be believed as revealed by God. This teaching of the deposit of faith is similarly articulated in the Code of Canon Law. And what does Canon Law say about this? All the canons of Canon Law have one purpose, for the salvation of souls. It says, Those things are to be believed by divine and Catholic faith which are contained in the Word of God as it has been written or handed down by tradition. This is what I really want folks to understand, you know, that, that de this deposit of faith is not negotiable. We must believe in this to be Catholic. And you're going to say, well, it sounds to me like there's a lot of people running around that say they're Catholic, like Joe Biden and others, that don't believe. Well, that's true. But that's why I want you to have a really sound understanding of what, that de what the deposit of faith is and why we should know what we should know about it. When we come back, I hope to get to why the church deposit of faith cannot be changed. Stay with us. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, I'd be a billionaire. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888 526 2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. You know, I'm talking a lot about the deposit of faith and articulating it very clearly. And I was talking to my engineer on the break. I said, you know, I just think that this is, needs to be articulated clearly because this is what the solution is to a lot of our problems in the church. We need to understand what we believe as Catholics. And you know, how the church receives and preserves and articulates this deposit of faith. The most essential and important truth of deposit of faith has been gathered by the church. It's over the centuries. It's not bigger than our lifespan. In her various creeds and formulas of the faith, she has also clarified what it's contained in the deposit by her solemn definitions and condemns the errors. Oh, wow, this is just, you know, condemns errors. Right. Uh, th this is how the church teaches. Such definitions and combinations, rather than constituting any addition to the deposit of faith, are more explicit articulations of what God has already revealed to the world once and for all through the prophets and the apostles and his son, Jesus Christ. This is so fundamental. The deposit of faith then was sealed with the death of the last apostle. That's what I learned when I was in the seminary or in the monastery, I should say. That's, uh, that this is church teaching. St. John the Evangelist, with his death, it ended. God's public revelation to the world has been completed and thereby came to an end. How many of us know that? That was worth just listening to that. I mean, if that's a revelation to you, Christ himself, I would like to teach that to some of our clergy. <clears throat> Christ himself revealed that he would build his church upon the apostles as its foundation stones, signifying that he would give to the world all that is needed for salvation through them. All that comes after the apostles must draw upon clarity uh, uh, to articulate more explicitly what was revealed to the world through them. For this reason, the teaching office of the church, the magisterium, 
was instituted by Christ as an office to provide and teaching authority to apostles themselves with the distinction that while it belongs to the apostles to establish the fullness of the deposit of faith and hand it down to such integrity of the church, it belongs to their successors and the bishops in union with Peter's successor, the Pope, to preserve, clarify, and interpret that same deposit. So the role of Pope Francis and other popes that come after him is to confirm us in our faith. If they're not confirming us in our faith, they're not doing their job. On the other hand, it does not belong to the Pope or bishops to add or take away from anything of what has been handed on to the church by Jesus Christ or the apostles as part of the deposit of faith. Such a departure would be an adulteration or betrayal of the deposit of faith. That's what's going on in Germany, folks. It's a betrayal of Christ's teachings. Nor does it belong to those who are not successors of the apostles to define or authoritatively teach the positive faith in a way that is proper to the magisterium, namely through solemn definitions or condemnations. I hope you're getting a lot out of this teaching because this is fundamental to the faith. Rather, the faith will receive and believe what the church in her hierarchy over the centuries definitively teaches as belonging to the deposit of faith, adhering to it and defending it when it's attacked. Yeah, I want to defend it because it's the truth. Now, the Second Vatican Council lays out this constant teaching of the church on the nature of the deposit of faith and the revelation between Scripture, tradition, and magisterium and the Christian faith in the following way in De Verben. The apostolic preaching. Now, this is Vatican II, folks. Well, the real Vatican II, please stand up. <clears throat> People don't read this. They don't read the document. The apostolic preaching, which is expressed in a special way in the inspired books, was to be preserved by an unending succession of preachers until the end of time. That's our job description, uh, hierarchy. Do it. Therefore, the apostles handed on what they themselves have received and warned the faithful to hold fast to the traditions which they have learned either by the word or mouth or by letter. And they're quoting scriptures, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. And to fight in the defense of the faith handed on once and for all. <clears throat> now, what was handed on by the apostles includes everything which contributes toward the holiness of life, increase in faith, of the people of God. And so the church, in her teaching, life and worship, perpetuates and hands on to all generations all that she herself is, all that she believes. I hope you're getting the message because it's the message is, you can't change this. Sacred tradition and sacred scripture form one sacred deposit of the word of God. See, I think that's so important. Do we know that? Sacred tradition, sacred scripture form one deposit of the Word of God. Can you tell I'm a little excited about this? Why? Because I need people. I want to see people know their faith well and they're committed to the church, holding fast to the deposit. The entire holy people united with their shepherd, remaining always and steadfast in the teachings of the apostles in the common life and the breaking of the bread. So holding to this practice and professing the heritage of the faith, it becomes on the part of the bishops and the faithful a single common effort. By the task of authentically interpreting the word of God, whether written or handed on, 
has been entrusted exclusively to Living Teaching Church office. Those authority is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This teaching office is not above the word of God. That's the church teaching, everybody. Right? The teaching office is not above the word of God, but serves it. This is Vatican II. Teaching only what has been handed on, listening to it devoutly, guarding it uh, very carefully, and explaining it faithfully in accord with the divine commission. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, it draws from one deposit of faith everything which is presented to believe or to be divinely revealed. Wow, yes, this is so important. It's clear, therefore, that sacred scripture, sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the teaching authority of the church, in accord with God's most wise design, are so linked and joined together that one cannot stand without the other. And all other together, each in his own way, under the action of the Holy Spirit, contribute effectively for the salvation of souls. That's how it works, folks. Any other version, that's not the Catholic version. So the deposit of faith is the content of all these truths that God has supernaturally revealed to the world through the prophets, the apostles, and his own son, Jesus Christ, which is a single complete gift of treasure, which has been handed on to the church through this apostolic tradition and sacred scripture, which is definely articulated and interpreted by the church's magisterium when she proposes to the Christian faith truths on faith and morals to be believed and revealed by God. Now, I'm going to summarize why the church deposit of faith cannot you know, change or evolve. Because we hear a lot of this modernism. They say the sacred deposit of faith, okay? It's, it's handed on once and for all for the church by Jesus Christ and the apostles can neither err or change. Over centuries, right, it became clear drawn out to articulate. And although the articulation of what is contained in the deposit of faith continues in the church until the end of time, this is a matter of more explicit and clearer statings of what God has already revealed once and for all in his Son. This is true whether whether the revelation of a particular truth was clear in the gospel, such as Christ claiming to divinity, or whether it was more obscure when revealed as Mary's Immaculate Conception, contained in the angel's Gabriel greeting, when he called her, yes, full of grace, and in the apostles' reverence towards her as towards the one who is perfectly sinless. Here's the bottom line, folks. The more explicit definitions of such truths later in the church's history is not a new revelation or a new truth. But here it is. But it's a more explicit teaching of what God revealed previously through our Lord and the Apostles. What is new in the church's clear understanding of what was revealed and its clearer expression of the same revelation. I'm going to finish with this. Concerning the unchanging nature and the meaning of the truths contained in the deposit of faith, the First Vatican Council taught the doctrine of the faith which God revealed has not been handed down as a philosophical intervention to the human mind to be perfected but has been entrusted as a divine deposit to the spouse of Christ. Who is the spouse of Christ? The church. To be faithfully guarded and infallibly interpreted. 
Hence, also, the understanding of the sacred dogma must be perpetually retained, which Holy Mother has once declared, and there must never be recession from the meaning and under the suspicious, suspicious name of a deeper understanding. Therefore, let the understanding and knowledge and wisdom of individuals, as of all, of one man, as the whole church, grow and progress strongly with the passage of ages and centuries. But let it be solely in its own genius, namely the same dogma, which the same sense, same understanding. Right from Vatican I. Now, I don't have a lot of time, but the Doctrine of Faith, the CDF, back in 1973, declared that the dogmatic definition of the church signified revealed truths in a determinate way and always remain true and constant, neither changing over time nor ceasing to be true. The CDF condemned the contrary opinion as dogmatic relativism. And it went on, and I'll just, if I have another minute, as for the meaning of dogmatic formulas, this remains ever true and constant in the church. The bottom line is, the church teaches these dogmas cannot change. And I hope today I was able to give you enough on why the church deposit of faith <coughs> cannot change or evolve and <coughs> how it all works because what the deposit of faith is so fundamental to our faith. I think when people understand that and they hear some crazy churchmen <coughs> wanting to change fundamental teachings, they're going to say immediately, no, no, that's, that's, that's not part of the deposit of faith. And that's why I did this for you today. I, I'd rather talk about this than all the cultural issues, to be honest with you folks, because I want to talk to you about the meaning and purpose of life, and the deposit of faith does just that. I want to thank you for supporting us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I told you the, this week we needed some extra funds, so if you'd like to call me at 661-972-7872, I'd love to chat with you. And if you haven't, want to make a donation to our project here at Virgin Most Powerful, we appreciate it. If Jesse was here, I'd say, Jess, what state should you be living in? And he'd say, the state of grace, brother. Get to confession. Make your visits to the Blessed Sacrament. Pray your rosary. Well, talk about Our Lady of Fatima. She said it this way. Souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Well, we can all join in the salvific work of, of salvation. Yeah. By offering our actions, our suffering each day in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Give your life to Christ. The benefits are out of this world. Thanks again. Thanks for, oh, next show, next show coming up is Dr. Sandoval here at bmpr.org. And God richly bless you.